and uh, to which his reply was, and so the next week we're going to celebrate recovery, right? And so uh, we kind of chuckled about that, but if you stop and think about it, there's not those times in the church where I think we do this enough, where we stop and we pause and we are simply reminded of God's view of marriage. In the last few weeks, we have celebrated family. We have celebrated with our babies and our new children and their families as we celebrate new life and as we challenge the parents a few weeks ago as God blessed you with that child now what he wants you to do in return is to give that child back to God and let God raise that that child in a godly way with you as parents helping do that and then we celebrated last week with our Hispanic church as they embark on a on a new journey on a new era where they are leaving this place that they have called home for the last 12 years and as they begin their new journey as a church today we celebrate that and then this morning we come and we want to celebrate marriage you know it goes without saying that we are living in a culture today where in recent months, what we have seen is marriage has been redefined. The world and culture is telling us that God may say it one way, but it's also okay to do it another way. And what happens as people of God, we get so wrapped up in the culture and in the world we live in, sometimes we get confused of what's right in the sight of God and what's not right in his sight and so we come today to honor and to celebrate the very thing that God ordained that God put into motion from the very beginning of time and so what I want us to do this morning I want us to go back in scripture and I want us to look at some reminders from God's Word about marriage but before we do that I want to celebrate the marriages that we have right here in this church and before I do that I want to say this I have prayed all week that I might say something this morning to rekindle a marriage that may be on the rocks that I can say something from God's Word that even if you say your marriage is a 10 that you will continue to not take that for granted but will continue to nourish that in the sight of God and make it all that God can make it not all that you can make it be but all that God can make it be and I've also prayed this I know I speak this morning to a number of people who are not married. Some have chosen to be single, and that's okay. That's actually a biblical standpoint. 
Others that are here this morning, your spouse has passed away and you still grieve the loss of that marriage. You remember those times. And I've also prayed that those that I speak to this morning that have walked down the path of divorce, that I might say something that will encourage you because in my opinion over the years, I think we have done a pretty poor job in the church of isolating those people that have walked the road of divorce. I'm not sure that we've really wrapped our loving arms around them enough to help them see that regardless of what might have gone wrong in your marriage, you are where you are today. If you could go back and make things right, if you could go back and do things different, I guarantee you, you would probably do that. But sometimes we're handed something that is out of our control. And other times things happen where we make quick decisions and divorce came a part of your family. If I would ask people to raise their hands or stand this morning, if divorce is a part of your family right now, probably the majority of this church would stand up. And I guess a message that I want to send at the very beginning is this. Even if you have walked through and are walking through the stages of divorce right now, I want to tell you that our God still loves you. That there is a place for you in your relationship with God, even though covenant was broken. Now, not a lot of preachers are going to tell you that. But the Bible that I read and the God that we serve, I believe, speaks and sends a message of reconciliation and forgiveness and second chances and hope. There is always hope. If there wasn't hope in any situation, we might as well have not even woke up this morning and claimed to be a Christian. Amen? And so there is hope. And church, I pray that out of God's mercy and His grace, that we can be gracious people toward everybody. Because you never know what's going to happen in life from one moment to the next. And so that's been my prayer. And I know some may not agree with that, but I'm going to tell you, I really don't care because I've made that prayer right with God. And I believe in my heart and in my conscience that's the right thing. And so, as we gather today to celebrate marriage, I'm going to help some of you remember your anniversary today. Okay? I would like for you to do this. If you've been married from anywhere from 1 to 19 years, I want you to stand. 1 to 19 years, stand. Okay. 
Now keep standing. If you fall in the category of 20 to 30 years, stand. You got to listen, Molly. 20 to 30 years, stand. If you fall in the category of 31 to 40 years, stand. Now I want everybody else to sit down for a moment because this is what I want you to see next. Go ahead and stand. Church, let's give all of those marriages a hand. That is great. If you fall in the category of 41 to 50 years, would you stand? Give that group a hand. Okay, you can be seated. 51 to 60 years. Now, I know for those that have been married a long time, you're wondering, when are you going to get to me? You're next. 61 plus years stand. Bill and Jean King have been married for 61. Is that right? March 10th, 61. Harley and Lucy Staley, 61. The Hensons, 62. The Maggards, Leston and Larice, 65 years. Hugh and Jean Anthony, 68 years. And a couple that is not able to worship with us anymore because of health reasons, Gerald and Mary Doty have been married for 70 years. And so we want to celebrate with them. That is beautiful. So if you add that up, those from... 20 to 70 years of marriage, we have 104 family units in this church that have been married for that long. That applause came from a little child. <laughs> that is awesome. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2 as we begin. Genesis chapter 2. And I want you to find verse 18. When you've got it, I want you to say, got it. Chapter 2, verse 18. From the creation story, we are reminded of this. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, to which women will say, I know that's right. 
I will make a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I mean, he's lonely. And so God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he's sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I believe that there has really never been a generation whose view of marriage is high enough. I mean, when you look at these marching orders from the very beginning of time, obviously God knew what he was doing, didn't he? He had created the animals, he had created all the birds of the air and all the living creatures, and after everything that he created, what was it that he said? It is good. But then, here's man. Here's Adam. Something wasn't right. He was alone. He was by himself. And God saw fit in his plan. And he told Adam, I'm going to make, I'm going to create a helper suitable just for you. So, what you see from the very beginning of time is this. Marriage is God's design. It's instituted by God. Now, we're living in a culture today, I mean, I can say that to us as Christians, and we can say, well, no, duh. But we're living in a culture today where all of that is thrown out the window, and we're seeing different opinions and different designs come into play. But from the very beginning of time, what we see God doing is saying, this is my doing. And so the most foundational thing that we can see from Scripture at the very beginning, this is God's doing. It's not man's, it's God's. And the ultimate thing to see about marriage is this. That everything that you do in your marriage that was created by God as a gift to you, you are to do it for his glory. I wonder what would happen in all of our marriages if we would wake up day after day after day and realize that this marriage is not about me. This is a partnership. This is a gift from God, and everything that I do in my marriage should ultimately give God the glory. Not ultimately be about me, 
not ultimately bring honor to me, but it should honor the one who created it. And so, do you see one of the reasons that God didn't want man to be alone was this. Marriage changes us. Can I get an amen on that? I talk to a lot of women who tell me this, or I mean a lot of men who tell me this. I would not be where I am today if this good woman right here hadn't come along. And we say, oh, that's so sweet. To the which the women are saying, oh, but it's true. Right? But I wonder about this. I wonder where both of you would be as husband and wife if God hadn't brought you together. You see, instead of looking at it just one, view it as a partnership that God brought the two of us together. That God knew what he was doing when he put the two of us together together. You can go home and have a lot of fun with that conversation later if you choose to. Turn to Malachi chapter 2 and I want to show you something. Malachi chapter 2. Here's what God does. In Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, we see these words. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are Say that again, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth or some versions may say do not break covenant. Now, there's a big difference today in a covenant versus a contract if you want to have a marriage based on a contract i encourage you to go out to hollywood and i also will tell you this a marriage based on that will get you exactly what it says because what happens with a marriage based on a contract it's an agreement between the two people in which they agree to provide certain things. And there's always this clause, when divorce takes place, when we're no longer married, and then they go ahead and list the things that she's going to get versus what he's going to get. Now, here's the problem with that. With a contract, what did I do right there? It can just be ripped up just like that. And you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Now I get to pick that up after church. But that means absolutely nothing. But from the very beginning, and even Malachi brings this home here as well, the difference in marriage and Greg's already mentioned this in our thoughts about communion this morning, we enter into a covenant relationship with God. A covenant is a commitment. It's a responsibility 
where unconditional love takes place. That's what God does. And so in a covenant relationship with marriage, here's what happens. And here's what you did 70 years ago or last year. However long you've been married and wherever you fit in that spectrum, here's what you did. You came together as a man and a woman and you first of all committed yourself not to each other but to who? But to God. But, but you say, but I'm in love with this person. Folks, let me tell you something. You better be in love with God first before you fall in love with your spouse. And I'm going to show you why in just a moment from Paul's words in Ephesians 5. But do you see the commitment? So do you see what a husband and wife should see at the altar before they say I do and before they exchange their vows, they should be able to see that first and foremost, we've given our life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've given it over to the foundation of what God wants for this marriage. And when a couple gives themselves to God first and then to each other, that's his plan. That's the blessing of marriage. And so here's what you see. In a marriage committed relationship, you see these truths lived out. Faithfulness, commitment, and selfless love. Again, where does the selfless love come into play? That's covenant. That's God loving you first before you can give yourself away to somebody else. And so I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians of reminding the believers in Ephesus of all the riches that they have in Christ. I pray that in your marriage you can view that as a rich, as being rich in Christ. Okay? And so as he goes on in chapters 4 through 6, he's giving some very practical standpoints in the address of the responsibilities that we have in Christ. And in chapter 5, he says this phrase at the very beginning. He says, be imitators of God. I wonder what would happen if we woke up every morning and we decide in this marriage relationship, in this covenant relationship with God, I'm going to do everything that I can to imitate God first. When you imitate God first, folks, let me tell you something. Spouses, are you not going to fall in love with that person more and more because they've given their lives to God and they're making God first and foremost in their life and then he goes on in chapters 15 in verses 15 and 16 and he gives this warning he says beware because the days are evil I want to say this 
The days have been evil since the very beginning of time. Because from the creation story, who do we see that's also a playmaker? Not just God, but who else? Satan. Good old devil is there. And folks, let me tell you, Satan is well and alive in the church today. You don't have to say amen, but it's true. He's well and alive in our relationships. And I wonder, when are we going to realize as people of God, people of faith, we have a power that's much stronger than anything that Satan can get his head into. But the problem is, sometimes we have failed to buy into that. We have failed to believe that. And so in chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, you notice I didn't start in verse 22 under the wives and husbands sections because you can't start there. You can't read verse 22 without reading verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission in a marriage will never be an issue if both husband and wife are first and foremost submitting out of reverence to Christ. Most of the time when we get that out of whack, it's because, and women, if you struggle a lot with submission, I would venture to say at some point it's because verse 21 has not been put into practice. When both submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, then what Paul says beginning in verse 22 and following makes perfect sense. So let's see this. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now I want you to notice the, the analogy that he gives to the church his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Then he goes back and he quotes Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery and then as that mystery is unlocked, here's what he says. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's a high view of marriage, isn't it? So high that we get that beautiful picture of marriage being patterned after Christ's covenant commitment to his church. 
that reminder that Paul gives where Christ thought of himself as the bridegroom coming for his bride, the people of God. And you know what I love about that? In the world that we live in right now that's so dark and that's so confused and that's so lonely and that's so isolated, I picture Jesus standing there and saying, don't worry, I'm in control of all of this, even this dark world, and I'm coming back for my own. That's a beautiful picture of Jesus, the bride, coming, the bridegroom coming after his bride. I love that. Church, that's where we are today. We wait for him, don't we? We wait for him to come and do what the world would say will never happen. But that's resurrection power. That's the power that Jesus has over death. And he even has that power over marriage. And so this morning, if I ask you to rank your marriage on a scale of 1 to 10, I don't know where some of you would fall. Some of you spouses, you may not know what your spouse might be thinking. I don't know. But I can tell you this, if you give it a 1, give God a chance to bring it to a 10. If you rank it as a 10, don't think, oh, my marriage is perfect. That's when Satan's going to have a heyday. If it's a 10, pray that it's a 20. Never be satisfied with where it is. Always be wanting more because Jesus is the one that can bless that. And when you want that, when you desire that, I believe we serve a God that will bring it to fruition. So, healthy marriage equals healthy church. And you know where I think we are today in the church? As a body of believers? It's time for the church to become that spiritual army that God has called us to be. It's time for us as God's people to do battle. And to not let anybody tell you that it can't work. I beg to differ. It can in the eyes of God. If you're here this morning and circumstances have dealt you some pretty rotten situations, God can take you where you are right now and he can still use you in beautiful ways. And I want you to believe that. Every week, Keith Bowman and myself have the privilege of facilitating a class that's called Celebrate Grief, Grief Recovery, where people from our community and even this church family come into that room every week and they have heartache and they need to be reminded that God is 
the God of all comfort. And he's the one that can give us strength. But I think in just in ways like we have done with Celebrate or with Grief Recovery, we need to also have groups in this church where people in this community can come for divorce. Divorce recovery. Divorce for kids. Because our kids hurt. I mean, folks, it is what it is. And we've been dealt some pretty bad things, but at some point we've got to realize we've got to take the bad and we've got to give it to God and see what He can do with it. Because as we are living out daily, and we're going to see this more and more through our vision, God is a God of restoration. God is a God where he can restore all things back to him. And a lot of times, even in our relationship and our walk with God, we may say we are not where we want to be. God can restore that. Maybe you're not where you want to be in your marriage. God can restore that. And so because marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to the church, that highest meaning of marriage is this. Let's put that covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display for all to see so God can receive the glory. And so, spouses, if you haven't done this in a while, you can do it right now. When you get home, I don't care, but do it sometime. Tell your wife, tell your husband how much you love them. And even say this. This is good confession. I don't know where I would be without you. But then remind yourselves of this. But we don't know where we would be without Praise God for that. And so we're going to stand to sing a song of invitation this morning. And that invitation today can be a wide variety of things. I want to pray for a stronger marriage. I want to pray for a stronger relationship with God. I don't know where you fit. I want to pray that and, and believe that Christ is coming back for us. And that right there gives us hope for today and tomorrow. Amen. So whatever your thoughts are this morning, maybe you're ready to begin that covenant relationship through baptism. And you're ready to become a new creature to be baptized so your sins can be forgiven. Whatever your needs are. As Mark comes to lead us this morning, I invite you to stand right now.